0: Hello and welcome to the Reaction podcast with me, Deputy Editor Rachel Cunliffe and Reaction Editor Ian Martin. We can't start this week's podcast without discussing Philip Hammond's debut budget as Chancellor of the Exchequer. Now Hammond is known for being a safe pair of hands but rather, shall we say, unadventurous. Mm. What do you think Ian? Dullest budget ever?
1: It was pretty boring, wasn't it? It um, I suppose the what the government were aiming for was something that is steady as she goes because there's Brexit to consider no-one knows exactly what's going to happen in the European elections in France and Germany and elsewhere that we've talked about before. So they just wanted something that wouldn't create that much noise. Unfortunately for the government, it did. And the great one of the great things about Philip Hammond, or amusing things about him, is that he likes to say that he doesn't really pay any attention to what's in the newspapers and he thinks that what the media does is usually a, a lot of nonsense. Which is just as well, really. And if 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 if, you, if someone had shown him the front pages of the newspapers the morning after the the budget, they may pretty coruscating reading, mainly on this business of national insurance and a hike on the self-employed,
0: which uh, happens to include quite a lot of journalists and political commentators.
1: Exactly. Yes, yeah, so they're disproportionately highly represented within that group. You'd be pretty sure, as Chancellor, if you. If you're doing something in a budget, make sure it doesn't annoy too many newspaper columnists. It's probably annoyed absolutely everyone. But as as The Sun points out, and The Sun's headline was um, uh, Strife White Man, I think, was it? I don't know. Is that a terrible headline? Um, It was much better than that. It was very funny. And the point of it being that as The Sun, with its unerring instinct for just getting to the heart of what is going to annoy a certain tranche of voters that the Tories saw themselves as competing for and David Cameron was obsessed with getting. And Theresa May says that she's obsessed with getting. That it, it, it annoys not just white van man, but people setting up small businesses, people working, uh, working very hard, trying to turn something into a business, and working self-employed without... Holiday rights and sick pay and all the rest of it, and then they're now hammered. So that if if Hammond is not worried by that, then he he should be. And there's some st- indications as we speak that the that number ten wants him to back away from it, which would be rather embarrassing. considering there wasn't much else in the budget,
0: yeah. Considering that was the uh, the only kind of headline worthy worthy thing, and I should say that it is getting disproportionate coverage because it affects yeah. a lot of journalists and writers but there are, I think, 4.75 million self-employed people in the UK. That's 15% of the workforce. Um, They're not
1: all journalists. They're not all
0: journalists. (laughs) Uh, And that doesn't even take into account uh, people who have um, trying to launch their own small businesses. And it was kind of an attack on them too. And I think the thing that was quite grating about the way that he said it was that these are people who have not been paying their... Fair share and they've been enjoying all the benefits of being employed without paying the same as what um like salaried employers employees actually pay now um actually the difference in the national insurance rates is Mm. relatively minor and the difference the increase is also going to be relatively minor but there was just something grating about that idea that people who take Risks and who, as you say, go without sick pay and holiday pay and just job security are somehow leeching off the state. Has yes, he got the tone wrong?
1: Yes, he did get the tone wrong. And I can see... It should, should be absolutely clear that people who do that very often, though not always, choose to do that. It's a, it is yeah, a it's deliberate a, choice. It's a trade-off
0: for more freedom and more flexibility.
1: Precisely. Though there are... I, I think there are probably large numbers of people who, if you offer them a full-time, well-paid job with great holidays and salary and perks, would take would take it. But it's a consequence of a changing labour market and people moving around a lot between companies and then having to spend spells outside where they're contracting and doing various other bits and pieces for other people and patching things to, together to keep going. It's that millions of people do that in in Britain now. In the government's defence, that shift towards self-employment is playing havoc with tax revenues and with the structure of the tax system. I would say, though, if you're going to do that and you want to equalise or, or create a level playing field, as they say, then I want to be assured as a taxpayer being asked to pay a bit more that the government is spending every penny that it... Gets from us and that it borrows on our behalf in a sound and responsible manner. Which, looking at looking at the perks and benefits that the affluent tranche of pensioners in this country get, then I'm not sure that that is a uh, um, that all that all of that money is spent in a sound and reliable fashion. Though I I'm, I'm absolutely sure that. Age is uh, age influences how you you see that. There'll be plenty of people who think they paid their taxes and a lot of taxes throughout and and deserve it.
0: I don't think any Tory government is is is, is going to risk alienating some of their core voters, which are pensioners and perhaps wealthy wealthy pensioners, um, who do feel like they have they have paid and contributed to the system. But then I'm paying contributing to the system now, and I'm certainly not going to get the same of benefits mm. that are, are being on offer now. But you touched on something else that's really interesting, which is this shift towards self-employment, which kind of goes hand in hand with the digital economy and the so-called gig economy, and the idea that technology has made it much easier for people to have multiple jobs or work on their own terms, and it, it's made that style of working more common. And Hammond kind of touched on the fact that the government might be doing Mm -hmm. more in that area, but then sort of postponed it. But what I think needs to happen is a realistic conversation where everyone acknowledges that the categories of employer, employee, self-employed don't really work as Mm -hmm. much anymore and that they're much blurrier and that there's this new generation that is growing of people who are self-employed but are perhaps working in a way that would previously have meant they were a salaried employee and have the conversation about who does pay for the sick pay, the parental leave, someone has to look after the children, uh, who who does contribute to pensions and, and social security in, in that way. And we need a new model to just reflect what's happening and what's going to continue to happen. Um, and Hammond kind of kicked that down the road a little bit.
1: It's almost as though the the Tories can't quite even get the basic operating principles uh, properly in operation in that I can remember 2006 was the publication of Lord Forsyth's Tax Commission, which had been commissioned by, I think, Michael Howard, but it was published under David Cameron, which is a remarkable, remarkable document and maps out a way to a lower, flatter, simpler tax system to encourage enterprise, self-reliance, and promote growth. Really interesting document, not implemented, uh, ignored, buried, not implemented by George Osborne as Chancellor. And I might have expected a new Chancellor to think, well, Brexit's happening. There are some of these. There, some, there have been even since the Forsyth report. There have been big changes as you described, the way in which the economy functions. We need to think again about how we tax work, about how we reward risk and effort. And he hinted at it, but just passed over it in a way that said, well, I'll come back to it in the autumn, which, well, I'll believe it when I see it. But it does, it does feel as though post-Brexit we need something, or as we go towards Brexit, we need a, something a bit bigger, some bolder thinking, possibly. But it certainly wasn't on display on Wednesday
0: no it wasn 't, and I realized that we 've now spent nearly ten minutes just discussing tax on the self employed <laughs> which I think gives you a pretty good impression of actually how little of substance or how little interesting there was in the budget so let 's move away from Philip Hammond to something a little bit more exciting, uh, Washington, uh, where President Trump uh, launched the weekend by accusing Barack Obama of having tapped wiretapped Trump Tower during the election campaign. Now that is a shocking allegation. Uh, uh, which he presented, I think, with literally no evidence. Uh, so is that a diversion tactic to distract from the chaos in the White House? Is there something to it? Is it really the next Watergate? Or is I'd, he just mad? I, oh, no, we can't say that, can we? We can't, we can't there speculate. There are other options. We can't speculate there are, on whether or not he's mad.
1: There are other options, I suppose. I'm not sure if it's a diversion. I think the the, the school of thought which says, what well, he does... All of this stuff, because it there's a dastardly master plan and a clever operation here in which he's slipping through executive orders and bits of business and stuff in the in the in the government agencies that he doesn't want people to focus on, therefore he's creating a mad diversion. I'm sure he did that at times during the campaign, and it worked very well for him he's he's in He has a great instinct for disrupting the media and
0: dominating the news cycle. dominating
1: the news and just pricking the pomposity of the American media to be honest so he does all of that but I think in this case you get it's more a window on the chaos of the administration if you read the accounts and there are multiple accounts written by because the administration seems to be very leaky there are multiple accounts written which give which give a good detail which give good detail on what happened and he seems to get up particularly on a Saturday when Jared Kushner who is observant and is not around at all on a Saturday Saturday morning seems to be a particular problem it was early it was before 7 a.m. he'd seen this thing on Breitbart which presumably Steve Bannon had forwarded to him and he got annoyed and he tweeted this thing and then it is reported in several places that he then went off to the golf course in high spirits, feeling that he'd really, he'd really shown people, and he'd he'd stuck it to Obama. And then in the afternoon, came back, mm-hmm. having thought about it and seen some of the row, and started to question whether he'd done the right thing. Or
0: but he then doubled down on it. He yes.
1: then he he then did. He then spoke to surrogates and other allies who convinced him that he was right, which there seems to be a market in people to say, no, Donald, you're great, which is what he seeks, which then, as you say, then means that he, he doubles down. It is The, the question is whether, which I, to which I don't know the answer, and try and get a sense of this on the next trip to the US, is to what extent this is resonating. I mean, his numbers are not very good, and he's running into problems on healthcare. But are American voters just pricing a lot of this in as reality TV nonsense? And then a lot of voters seem to say, who voted for him, we always knew it was like this, and he is actually just getting on and delivering on what he said he would do, which to them is precisely why they voted for him, because he's not a normal politician.
0: So much to unpack there. (laughs) Essentially, you're saying that on Saturday mornings he needs to be babysat. The president of the United States needs to be babysat to make sure that he doesn't read in a thing that might cause him to, to, to spark off some some yes. new, new story. And you, well, that's reassuring. <laughs> um, in terms of him doing what he said he was going to do, um, we've had the revised and supposedly improved ban on travellers from six Muslim countries now. Um, Iraq is no longer on the list, and uh, they seem to have confirmed that uh, green card holders will not be affected, but it is essentially the same idea, and that's kind of slipped under the radar a little bit, partly because it hasn't gone into force yet. He gave a week's notice this time. Um, We'll we'll see how how it plays out when... It's actually It actually comes into force. But the Muslim ban, which is, as we discussed last time we talked about this, that, that's what it is. The Muslim ban is back. The Obamacare replacement from, from Congress has been unveiled. And I don't want to talk too much about health care because, as Donald Trump himself said... Nobody knows how complicated healthcare could be. Um, So it it, it is a very complicated topic. Uh, But I think what's interesting is the Republicans' replacement plan has been criticised not only by Democrats, which you would expect, but also by Conservatives and Libertarians who say that it just exacerbates the worst problems with Obamacare and doesn't really fix the problems and it isn't a free market solution to, to healthcare. So that has... He's going to have trouble with that as well. Um, And we're still dealing with reports and leaks of meetings with various Russian officials. We had Jeff Sessions last week, the Attorney General, who... not going to say he lied under oath, but forgot to mention some meetings that were perhaps relevant uh, in his confirmation mm-hmm. hearings and has now had to recuse himself from the investigation. And there have been further reports of other Trump aides and members of the Trump team meeting Russian officials. And that is something that is probably going to continue. The report's going to continue to to leak out. Th- this is This is not a smoothly running... White House.
1: No, I'm not suggesting that for a moment. I'm just I'm just trying to not join in the chorus of disapproval, which I understand. I'm concerned about a lot of what he's what he's doing. But I wonder, for example, on health care, it's obviously going to be messy, as you say, that was hilarious, wasn't it, when he said who, who knew that arranging health care for three hundred and twenty million people could be so complicated? Well, <laughs> it's kind of obvious to Every,
0: everyone i think everyone
1: who paid attention ever and that just reminds you that he hadn't really paid attention i wonder though with his voters unless he gets it really badly wrong and the, he has associated himself very clearly with the plan he doesn't want it to be called trump care so all of his opponents are going to call it trump care which will be as successful as the trump university i'm sure so oh, well, I to, like
0: that because Trump University wasn't actually a university, <laughs> so Trump Care isn't actually a healthcare plan. I like that a lot. But I
1: think his opponents will want to. He's he's interested in branding. That's what yeah. he does. He does he sells his name, and he doesn't want this to be Trump Care. But he has supported it and said this is a great plan. So you can un, you can you can envisage a situation in which he get encounters trouble on this, and then. Appealing to his voters, shrugs and says, "I had a plan. It was so great, it's like the greatest plan. It's going to be the greatest plan with the greatest amount of healthcare for everyone." But you know what these politicians are like? It went to the House and then then it went to the Senate, and they all started wrangling. And all they do is squabble. I tried to sort it out, and they just created an even bigger mess. It just shows you these—you can't trust these politicians. That I assume, if it fails or falls or is amended in in some way that turns it into even more of a shambles, that'll be his line. And it's worth entertaining the possibility for that for large numbers of voters who voted for him, that's a reasonable explanation when they just see politicians on the television fighting about healthcare.
0: Always optimistic, talking to you about the future of America under Trump.
1: Well, the other th- reason to be optimistic about America, as well as its extraordinary energy and strengths in technology and extraordinary natural resources and it's energy self, self-sufficient. self America has a lot of problems, but one thing we do definitely know is that he, he's only going to be president for four or eight years, that there is life after Trump.
0: Well, that's if the institutions can survive four or eight years of President Trump.
1: And there's not a third world war.
0: And there's not a third world war. Wonderful. Well, one thing that you can't deny is that he is entertaining to watch, possibly for all the wrong reasons, but uh, you tune into a Trump press conference and you know you're going to be entertained. And if we just go back to somebody who is not an entertainer by any means, Philip Hammond, (laughs) uh, who nonetheless peppered his speech yesterday with a number of unexpected jokes, didn't know that he knew what a joke was. Um, and that happened just minutes after Theresa May, also not seen as a barrel of laughs, uh, generally, uh, but she was caught on camera laughing in a rather unusual way, shall we say. So, yes. Can politicians be funny? Should politicians be funny?
1: Well, this this GIF, which GIFs don't really work for podcasts, do they? But this, this little <laughs> loop of film going around of May throwing her head back and laughing at Jeremy Corbyn.
0: Who asked the same question for the fourth time in a very ineffectual way. Uh, utterly
1: useless. So this clip then went viral. I, the, the irony with Theresa May is that she can be very, very funny. I've been on the same uh, bill as her, as one of the warm-up people, I think at a Burns supper. I think it was a charity event can't remember, a few years ago. And she was the main act. And she was absolutely brilliant when given a script. And whoever writes her jokes knows what she's doing or what he's doing. And she's very, very funny. Very funny again at the Spectator Awards, where she was maybe even put it on a bit too strong in terms of how she slagged off Boris. So she can be laugh-out-loud funny with a script in front of her but yes you're right in terms of spontaneity it doesn't it doesn't come to her in the way that it a quip would come to David Cameron who is very funny or I'm, Boris Johnson Boris Johnson yeah it's, it, Boris Johnson just I suppose a bit like Eric Morecambe he just has to he just has to appear yeah, and you smile off. or laugh he doesn't make people smile I mean I'm, that sounds dismissive but that tends to be that tends to be the reaction
0: is that is that Eaton charm do you think
1: with Boris I just think it's natural I don't know what it is it's something you can't Teach whether or not that is something people want in a prime minister is a different is a different matter and still to be tested. Yes, it can work. I mean, humour can backfire with politicians. In that, if it, if the gags just don't quite work, you end up as a clip on "Have I got news for you?" satirical show, and it um, ends up not really being worth the effort. Historically. Wit, humour, the cutting retort that is funny, is is a big feature of, of of British politics and of American politics. And I mean, American politics tends to be more in in private. Publicly, I suppose in Britain, people always go on and on and on about Churchill, who was funny. I am not denying it. I am a great Churchill advocate, but he's been quoted to death, and some of the things he's quoted as having been having. Having said, it's not clear he actually even he even said them, but Churchill was funny. Willie Whitelaw, very amusing. Some politicians are very funny unintentionally <laughs> without <laughs> realising it when Margaret Thatcher said, you know, everyone needs a Willie about Willie Whitelaw. It's not clear that she really underst- understood the double, <laughs> double entendre I at think, all.
0: Um... Francois Fillon, who is running to be president of France and doing spectacularly badly. I think he was very funny um, earlier this week or, or at the end of last week when he, he said uh, he was being placed under investigation for embezzlement and, and fraud and everyone was expecting him to drop out and instead he said, France is bigger than my mistakes. I thought that was very funny. <laughs>
1: That is very funny. Great,
0: great way to uh, unintentionally, but great way to uh, cover up. Is
1: anything, there any, really. anyone else unlikely that you think is funny?
0: I think Hillary Clinton is hilarious. Well,
1: it has Everyone. to be said that her election campaign was hilarious.
0: Thanks, thanks for that. I'm still not over it. <laughs> um, but she appeared on Saturday Night Live. I mean, they all did. But she appeared on on Saturday Night Live with the wonderful Kate McKinnon playing Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton herself playing a barmaid called Val. Discussing the the Clinton campaign. And it was so clear that she was really comfortable with mocking herself. She had great comic timing. Um, She just wasn't taking herself too seriously. Uh, Really? Have you seen the clip? I have seen the clip. Just the concept
1: of Hillary Clinton not taking herself too seriously, I find hard to. But yes, I it, see what you mean. It was
0: it was wonderful. So if 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 her next presidential run, which she's inevitably going to do, doesn't work out, then alternative career for her.
1: An unusual one I would look for, which doesn't quite come across in those endlessly boring, excessively long books by Robert Caro that everyone is supposed to have read and that all political journalists are obsessed by. About LBJ. Personally, it's, it's sacrilege. I prefer the single volume. Uh, book by um, by Robert Dalek. And what comes out of that is how hilarious LBJ was. Cutting, cruel, very, very funny, and with a great turn of phrase. But he did that as a deal-maker. And, and he was brilliant at charming people and bullying them. And before he was president, at being king of the senate and, and, and getting business through and business transacted and it's a political skill which is not exactly evident in the current president
0: No, and going back to to Britain, what about Michael Heseltine, dog strangler <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, yeah. Heseltine has been back in the news this week, obviously, because for the first time in his career, he's been fired.
0: Heza, as you call her. Heza, yeah,
1: as he, as he should be known. Great figure, um, completely wrong about Europe, in my view, but one of the big beasts of the era. And you called him great hair, great hair, the best hair in politics. You called him dog strangler, presumably because of the unfortunate row last year about him strangling a dog or claiming to. But I think he changed the story. I don't think he claimed to... I think he said in the end he hadn't strangled his... Was it his mother's dog?
0: It was an Alsatian, and he had... Well, so strangled can be both a, a kind of mild and, and severe verb. Right. So he had used a choke collar and strangled the dog, but the dog was actually lived and then was put down oh, later I mean, on. So the row, a the row was about exactly how long and to what extent he had strangled the dog I mean, that's not good
1: in British politics. You can do just about anything in British politics, but if you go around killing dogs, I mean, yeah. that's, that's not the way to electoral popularity. But that is not why he was fired this week. He was fired because he, well, he did more than just vote against the government and he's an unofficial or has been an unofficial adviser to the Cameron government and now to the May government on regeneration of cities and all sorts of other things and business and he seems to have been stripped of those unpaid posts because he voted against the government on Article 50 and said the fight back starts here against Brexit.
0: Um, I think I've heard Jeremy Corbyn say that.
1: Yeah, what could possibly go wrong?
0: Thank you for listening to the Reaction Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate us five stars. You can read more from Ian Martin and me, Rachel Cunliffe, on the Reaction website at www.reaction.life, where you can also sign up to become a Reaction member for just 75 pence a week.